Today's show is brought to you by the best-selling book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, full-spectrum treatments to optimize your dog's life quality and longevity. It's available everywhere books are sold, in both paperback and digital editions, and on the publisher's website at dogcancerbook.com. Use coupon code PODCAST on that website to get 10% off the Dog Cancer Survival Guide today. Acclimation beforehand would definitely be the kinder thing. Get out your treats, have them wear the cone a little bit, or put the bodysuit on and tell them how perfect they are, give them some treats, make it a normal sort of thing for them. They'll think you're weird, but whatever, you're giving them treats. But that way you can avoid some of the stress of, okay, I've been at the vets all day, I've been cut open, oh, and now there's a bucket on my head, great. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend, and welcome. Today, you are going to be listening to part one in our series on surgery for your dog. And if you have a dog with cancer, often the best thing that you can do is to get surgery. And we talk about that in the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. And there's so many things that you need to take into consideration if you are going to do surgery, whether it's for cancer or anything else. And starting off with good planning is always a big part of the success that you can look forward to. So to discuss this topic, we have our associate producer, Kate Baysdow, who is a licensed veterinary technician joining us to talk about preparing your dog for surgery. Kate, first of all, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. So you have a background. Let's just credentialize you. You've been doing this for a while. This isn't just something new for you. Yep. I grew up on a hobby farm with lots of animals and a veterinarian mother. So I was helping with vaccinations and deworming the sheep and basic care right from the get-go. We did put staples in one of my dog's faces when I was probably 15 after she picked a fight with a muskrat and lost. <laughs> wow. <laughs> then I ended up going to school. Well, I have a bachelor's degree in English and then came back to my science side to get the veterinary technology degree and worked in small animal practice for about four years. Wow. Okay. So you you know a thing or two, and you've talked to hundreds, thousands of clients about surgery over the years, I would think? Definitely hundreds. Might. Eh, I'm not sure. Thousands might be a little high. <laughs> okay. Somewhere in that range. So what are some of your tips and suggestions on uh, how people can prepare for the best outcome? One of the best things to do is pre-anesthetic blood work. Blood work can be expensive. It generally... A smaller panel will range from about $50 to 100 Some of the larger, more comprehensive panels could easily run a couple hundred dollars. And sometimes it can be like, well, my dog's young and healthy and everything's fine. I don't really want to spend this money. But it's nice to have that information because when your dog does go under anesthesia, the anesthesia drugs are processed by the liver and kidneys. Hmm. So if we can do that blood work ahead of time and know if there's any problems with the liver or the kidneys, the veterinary team can change up their drug protocols to make it a little easier on your dog 
or they can start giving IV fluids earlier instead of just running them while the dog is under anesthesia to help with hydration to support the kidneys. And there could be some big risks, right? If you, do, I mean, you could have an otherwise healthy-looking dog, but he could have some underlying issues that would make the anesthesia dangerous. So knowing this ahead of time is really important. Oh, yeah. Both the liver and the kidneys put on a good show. They <laughs> try to keep working. The kidneys, you don't start seeing clinical signs of kidney failure until 75% of the kidneys are gone. and. Hmm not salvageable anymore. So doing blood work ahead of time to say, okay, the liver and, and or the kidneys are looking a little funky can help with making decisions like, should we just change up our drug protocol or should we postpone this procedure and get the dog started on some sort of liver support or kidney support medication to address the problem and then come back to surgery? So is this this blood work, Is this is something obviously can be done in the vet's office, but how long do they get the results? It depends. Most veterinary hospitals can do at least some blood work in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the more involved tests you'll have to send out to a lab, which can, depending on the lab and the location of your practice and where you live, you could get results as early as the next morning. Or it might take a couple days, and some of the tests require additional procedures and preparation of the blood samples, which can make it take a little longer. Mm. But if it's a test that's being run in-house, your veterinary team can do it right then and there, and usually you have results within half an hour. That's awesome. Okay, and so it's well worth the investment. You say about $1,500, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And um, you can do it ahead of time at like a checkup appointment or often just a technician appointment where you just bring your dog in, they draw the blood and run it, you head on your merry way, and then they call with the results later. Or you can plan on doing pre-op blood work the day of the surgery. Most veterinarians will let you do the blood work up to a month in advance. If your dog is having some problems, and definitely for cancer patients, they're probably going to want the blood work to be a little closer to surgery just to make sure that it, the information is as accurate as possible. Got it. That's a great tip. Okay. What else do you recommend in terms of preparing for surgery? If you've got a furry dog or a dog who likes to get dirty, give them a bath before surgery. <laughs> this is something that People a lot of times don't think about because you're just focused on the procedure and you're worried about that. And then your dog comes home and the technician is telling you that they can't have a bath for the next two weeks. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm stuck with this stinky dog for two weeks. So <laughs> give them a bath like before a surgery. <laughs> that sounds like a hard-learned lesson. Uh, Thankfully, I haven't had to deal with that. But I've definitely had clients look at me like, what do you mean I can't give them a bath? <laughs> I thought we would do it after the surgery. No, two weeks later. And we know that a lot of listeners to this show have their dogs sleep in their bed with them. So if you don't want your stinky dog to sleep in your bed, give it a bath before you go in for surgery. That's a great tip, Kate. (laughs) Yep. And another thing is to buy a cone or an Elizabethan collar, the cone of shame, Mm -hmm. or a bodysuit intended to protect the incision ahead of time so that you know you have something in hand that can protect your dog's incision after the surgery and you know it already fits well. 
And do you want to like get the dog at all used to it or like introduce it? Or is it a surprise when you, when you, <laughs> after the surgery? Acclimation beforehand would definitely be the kinder thing. Get out your treats, have them wear the cone a little bit or put the bodysuit on and tell them how perfect they are. Give them some treats, make it a normal sort of thing for them. They'll think you're weird, but whatever, you're giving them treats. But that way you can avoid some of the stress of, okay, I've been at the vets all day. I've been cut open. Oh, and now there's a bucket on my head. Great. (laughs) I think that's such great advice. I've never heard that before, but it's such a great thing because, uh, yeah, it does feel like I just went through all this and now this big, and the ones that you get at the vet's office are both really expensive and, at least from my own experience, really uncomfortable and not and they're kind of silly. But there's a lot of stuff ahead of time that you can find. Do you have some recommendations for – because I've seen, like, the inflatable ones and I've seen all sorts of things. Do you have some mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Personally, I don't trust the inflatable donut ones. My dogs have very long noses and mm. I would be concerned that they could reach around and still get at the incision. So I tend to stick with a standard plastic cone. I do also have a like stiff canvas one that's got a couple support bars, sort of. So that's nice because it's a little more flexible. So when the dog lays down, it collapses and they can lay flat a little easier. But I like you those still as have, well. Yeah, the stability. And a lot of people have been happy with the body suits. You can get them in any color and design you can imagine. And or for some dogs, just a plain t-shirt will work, especially if it's an incision like kind of on the shoulders or the neck, a t-shirt or a turtleneck can cover the area and provide adequate protection. We will put some links in the show notes to some bodysuits that may be appropriate and some of Kate's other picks. And those are in the show notes because this is the type of stuff that people really want to know. So what are some other tips, Kate? Ask about an estimate for the procedure ahead of time. Hmm. Take it with a grain of salt because often we don't know exactly, especially with a surgery to remove a lump or a tumor, we don't know exactly how involved the procedure is going to be until we get in there. So that's why they give you a range. But usually they're pretty good at eyeballing how much something is going to cost. Because time is money. So if they go in and then decide or see that there's a lot more to do. It takes longer in surgery, which is more of the veterinarian's time and more of if there's an anesthesiologist or a vet nurse who's going along with it, it's just going to take longer and therefore cost more. Yep, exactly. Some lipomas, fatty tumors are encapsulated. And those, when the veterinarian opens up the area with the incision, they literally just pop out. Hmm. It's super quick and easy. Just pop it out, sew the dog up, everything's great. But if the tumor is more diffuse and attached to tissues underneath, it can take a while to parse out and get that out of there, especially if there's a lot of blood supply and blood vessels in the area, because the veterinarian has to ligate and close up every single one of those blood vessels so that your dog doesn't bleed out. And that can take a while depending on the location and how involved the procedure is. And that whole time your dog's on anesthesia and getting fluids, and there are multiple people there paying 100% attention to your dog. So that's why you should take the estimate with a grain of salt, because you never know what's going to happen until uh, until the surgery starts. 
Mm-hmm. That's a great tip. Kate, this is awesome. I'm going to stop you right here. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we have some more tips from Kate Baysdow. Stay tuned. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. <laughs> no matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life and the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. 
But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. What else do you have? Ask about the drop-off time ahead of time and if the dog will need to stay overnight. For most routine procedures at most clinics, they'll send the dog home the same day, usually toward the end of the day. But sometimes for more involved procedures or if something goes wrong, they might want to keep your dog overnight for observation to make sure everything's okay. That can also happen if the incision's in an area that's really fragile Like any incision over a joint where motion could potentially open the stitches, the surgeon might want to keep your dog overnight just to be sure that they're staying still and quiet and to address any problems that might arise immediately. Also ask if they want you to give any medications that your dog is on in the morning, on the morning of the surgery or not. Some medications they will want you to give, others they'll want you to wait and just bring with you at the time of drop-off. A couple supplements can act as blood thinners, and so you're going to want to stop those usually a week or two before your dog is having surgery. A couple of the ones that can cause that issue are dietary enzymes, fresh ginger root, krill and fish oil, and Wobenzyme N. But if you're unsure about any of your dog's supplements, run it by your veterinarian before they're going to go under anesthesia for surgery. Good advice. Another important thing to think about, which is hard for all of us, is about whether or not you want life-saving measures done if your dog goes into cardiac arrest. Most veterinary hospitals will have some sort of DNR, do not resuscitate form, where they will ask you if they want your dog to be resuscitated and to get CPR, or if you would prefer to just let the dog go if they head out. So is this DNR part of the, all that paperwork? Because oftentimes when you go to the vet for surgery, there's like this ream of paper, sign here, sign here. And, and you're literally signing things. And I'm sure we all are, you know, astute lawyers who know never sign anything until you've read it. But I think sometimes in the heat of the moment, whatever you're just signing, is that DNR contained in that or is it a separate agreement usually? It'll depend on the clinic. Usually it's in that stack that they're handing you, whether it's on its own page or built into everything might vary. Um, You can also ask for that surgery paperwork ahead of time. Mm. I know we loved it when people would show up on the morning of their surgery with their surgery paperwork already filled out. It streamlines the drop-off process and 
gives the owner time to really read through and understand everything or to note places where they have questions for us be like, what does this mean? Like if my dog, because CPR can mean a couple different things. If you're at your regular veterinary practice, that would probably mean basic CPR Mm -hmm. with chest compressions and giving oxygen via a tube. Whereas if your dog is having surgery at a specialty clinic or a university, they may be capable of doing open chest CPR, where they open up your dog's chest and actually are working directly on the heart. And doing that, open chest CPR is significantly more expensive than standard CPR. So that's something to think about, as awful as it can be to contemplate those sorts of situations. Well, if you're prepared for anything that can happen in surgery, it's probably a really good thing. And yeah. thinking about a DNR uh, for a dog, especially if a dog that is in the midst of cancer treatment, is probably a, a smart decision. Absolutely. What else you got for us, Kate? Um, so on the night before the surgery, mm-hmm. you'll want to feed your dog dinner at its normal time. Resist the temptation to give a special last meal. Just stick <laughs> to the <laughs> it where. I know I feel the same way. I always want to give my dog something extra special. But this could be the last meal ever. (laughs) Yeah. But if you give that cheeseburger or that pork chop, your dog could potentially get diarrhea or start vomiting. And those sorts of things could mean the surgery has to be postponed or that your dog has a little rougher time the next day. So resist the temptation. Stick with the normal dog food. That's good (laughs) advice. Give the normal evening medications. Ask your veterinary staff ahead, and usually they'll call you a day or two before the surgery, both to confirm your appointment and to go over the exact details. But most of them will want you to withhold food for 12 to 24 hours before the surgery, usually 8 to 12 hours. Now, why is that? So that's because sometimes dogs, when they're under anesthesia, will throw up, either vomit or regurgitate. And if there's food in the stomach, that food or liquid could potentially be vomited up into the mouth and then go down the trachea into the lungs. And you don't want your dog to aspirate food or water. Food and water don't belong in the lungs, causes all kinds of problems. And normally when your dog throws up, they just throw up the food. But when they're under anesthesia, they've lost their swallow reflex. Mm -hmm. So all of those airways are wide open. What else? Um, Another note on the food is to make sure that everyone in the family is on the same page about when your dog is allowed to have food or not before surgery. Mm. So you don't want Uncle Fred walking in at two in the morning and giving the dog a hot dog. You're going in for surgery. Yep. Ballpark. (laughs) It's like, make sure everyone in the house knows, okay, Daisy can't have any food after midnight tonight. Mm -hmm. She might be allowed to have a little bit of water in the morning, but no breakfast. Hold strong. (laughs) I'm guessing that may come from hard-learned lessons that you've seen as a vet technician. Yep. And the staff feels bad, too, because if a dog has had breakfast right before a procedure, usually the vets will try to postpone that surgery at least for a couple hours to let Mm -hmm. the food get past the stomach into the intestines. Mm -hmm. And that just throws off the schedule for the whole day. It means your dog is going to 
have the surgery later, which then means they're ready to go home later. They might end up needing to stay the night. Mm. Or in some cases, if a patient is at high risk for anesthesia complications anyway, the doctor might choose to postpone the surgery to another day for that. And Great advice. Uncle Fred, no hot dogs. <laughs> this is awesome. A lot of really useful tips. And our series continues on the next episode where Kate will walk us through tips for the day of surgery. Kate Baysdow, thank you so much for being with us today. You are very welcome. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Dog Cancer Answers. As I alluded to, there's a lot of information in the show notes, so please check that out. And if you have a dog with cancer, because why else would you be listening or watching this right now, you probably want to check out our Facebook support group. It is a community of dog lovers who are going through exactly what you are, and you can find that at dogcancersupport.com. And that's just a quick link to our Facebook forum. And of course, also please subscribe to Dog Cancer News because that comes out three times a week with really useful, helpful information. Some of it written by Kate, some of it written by other people on our team. And you can get a free subscription to Dog Cancer News at dogcancernews.com. I'm James Jacobson. And on behalf of everyone here at Dog Podcast Network, thanks for joining us today. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.